This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho, featuring inspirational and fascinating personal stories of people from all corners of the globe who are now in St. Louis. We'll take a look at the U.S. through newcomers' eyes, get some insight into world history and cultures, and maybe learn something about ourselves. Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back to Stories of New Americans. Um, I'm joined by two guests today for the first time. I got two people in the studio. I've got Christine Saremba and Majesty Mukulu. They're from Uganda, mother and son. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Um, we're going to talk as as usually as usual. I kind of want to set the scene of where Uganda is geographically and a little bit about the history, and then we'll get into your your stories, your personal stories. So. Tell us where Uganda is located on the map. What are the bordering countries and what, where does it exactly? Uganda is in East Africa, so it's closer to the Indian Ocean. It's a landlocked country. Landlocked, okay. And we have Kenya, Tanzania, like our biggest neighbor, but also Rwanda touches us and Congo slightly. We're cl- pretty close. Okay. Bordering with Congo. Okay. In the south. Okay. And the language, English and Swahili are the... English and Luganda. Luganda. dominant languages in Uganda. Is Swahili spoken a lot, too? Mainly by the forces, like the soldiers. The army, mm-hmm. They use Swahili a mm-hmm. lot, but it's not a street language. Okay. Probably like the third most popular language. Okay. But Luganda, you said, was the other language? Yes, the street okay. language, the market language. It's the general language spoken across the country. And I guess this is where the name Uganda comes from. Yeah, the name Uganda came from Buganda. Buganda. Which was the original kingdom. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that too. That that's that was the is and I guess was and is the name of the kingdom of that part of the world. Yeah, and the kingdom still exists today. Yeah, I didn't realize that until you told me that. And I know you. Th- initially, it was due to some political issues during Obote's regime. The king had to run for his life. He went mm-hmm. to exile, and a lot of things were done. To the constitution, I think they tried to abolish the kingdom and a lot of things during Obote's time. But when Amin came back, although Amin was responsible for attacking the, the palace, mm. I think to make amends and to correct that error, he brought back the kings, the king for burial, and he brought the favors back of the Baganda. And when Museveni came to power, he allowed the exile king to come back and be crowned again as king. You know how long that kingdom has been in existence? Or that that more than five I think the dynasty goes right now to five hundred recorded, but they say before that it was there. Five hundred years ago or the year five hundred? Five hundred years ago. Wow. It okay. goes back about five hundred years, but um there's also some records that have indicated that it's up to a thousand years old. Mm. But at least the ones that are very detailed accounts go back to at least 500 years. But it's probably older than that. And he was the, I guess, the ruler of the country until the British came? No, he was ruler of the Buganda Kingdom, which was pretty dominant. Uganda was not one. The other tribes were eventually added on. But when the British came, they found Mm -hmm. the Uganda. There was also the Nyoro Kingdom. And... Yeah, those were the dominant kingdoms, Bunyoro, Chitara, and Buganda. And in whatever transpired, they eventually had to, they messed a lot with the kingdoms, but they never actually colonized Buganda. They worked with us as a protectorate. Interesting. And how much, how much of the country of Uganda today is Buganda territory? 
Is it a majority or? A quarter. A quarter, okay. And you, you sent me a video of the, the King's birthday run. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. That's like an annual event for his birthday? Yes. During his birthday, they have a lot of celebrations which start off with a birthday run. I think this is the 10th year they've done it, and he's very popular. And Buganda has a parliament, so they have... Uh, the British found that when they came. Buganda was an established kingdom with a parliament, mm-hmm. and which is called Luchiko in Luganda. So we have a Katiko who's like the prime minister. Mm-hmm. And Majes, you want to say something about Buganda? Yeah. Well, talk about the Buganda run, the, the birthday run. It's the people, it's like a, like a race or something, or a marathon. Yeah, people run, I think, depending, they sign up for how far they can go. It's a marathon that goes, the really good marathon runners yeah. for, for hours. But the majority run as far as they can go, and then they end up in the palace. The former, the former palace. Mm-hmm. The king is not living there anymore, but at least they use it for events like the birthday celebrations and all big celebrations for Buganda. I think this year they said it was the biggest run. They had more than ten thousand, a hundred thousand people. And people run just to kind of show respect to his uh-huh. to the king, and then and they buy these t-shirts like you know fundraise, and they, so they're all like in uniform. And I think they said it's one of the greatest runs right now in the world, next to one in South Africa. Really, this we never biggest. heard about that. Yeah, the people run to show their support to the kingdom and uh-huh. the king, and, uh-huh. you know, just show camaraderie, because I think also people who are non-Baganda participate in yeah. this. So the Baganda kingdom um, was not, like, at least to our teachings in Uganda, which is interesting, was not colonized by the British. But from my understanding and readings, we were 100% colonized by the British. They just used different methodology yeah. than they used in most other countries. Yeah. Um, they found an established kingdom, and they basically worked alongside it, but also still the paperwork. they made, Like, our lands uh, ended up being owned by the British. Mm-hmm. The king, according to the 1900 co- um, uh, constitution or agreement they had with the British, became the employee of the queen. Future kings had to be... Uh, basically could not be recognized or coronized to become kings without the queen and the British royal family's permission. So a lot of the powers and rights the Baganda kingdom and Ugandan citizens had became privileges that, you know, were at the mercy and at the option of the British, Mm. you know, came in as partners, but they kind of usurped the lands and powers. Mm -hmm. The current capital of Uganda is majority in the not majority, like all of it's in the Baganda kingdom, but all that land was taken by the British, mm-hmm. used to build city, you know, a capital and, you know, different institutions around it. But later on, after they left, the Baganda kingdom never got that land back. Mm-hmm. And it got formalized, became like, you know, government land. And actually, the land belonged to Buganda. They established the Mayo land, like the land tenure system, which was never there. And so they created landlords in Buganda when they created land titles. Before that, people owned land, or most of their land belonged to the king. Mm-hmm. And he was like, the sabatak, which means like the head landlord or whatever. So there are a lot of clan heads under him who mm-hmm. also own lands as mm-hmm. custodians for their people. Mm-hmm. But the land was not taken by the British. It was taken by Obote when he changed the constitution. He he stole the land. Or he, he was the first president after British. After the first president was the king of Buganda, Sir Edward Mutesa. Okay. He was the first president, and Bobote was his prime minister. So the, uh, the king at that time became the actual president. Yeah, okay. 
Okay. He was he was the first president in, and then three years later, they did that coup and you know tried to kill him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, this was 1962 when we got independence in 1962. 19, okay. Then in 1966 is when the Obote was swapped out using Amin as his army commander. Oh yeah, that's another. We're opening a Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but okay. Well, yeah, he the the king became, was elected president first after independence mm -hmm. for the first three years. Then he was um, there was a coup by, by, by his Milton president. Obote, mm -hmm. and then. Obote, after he took the power, he became president, he removed most of the powers of the king, trying to, like, almost diminish the Uganda kingdom. Okay, and then you said, I think the king fled into exile at that time? The king fled to Britain. Okay. That's where he died in 1969. Okay. So, later, his remains were brought back for a burial in Uganda in 1971 when Amin took over power. Okay. Um... The king today, I... He's the son. Okay, he's the son of... He was uh, a, yeah, he, he grew up in England. Too. Okay. I think he was in exile with his father, and he grew up there. And I, I assume that it's a ceremonial position, kind of like the British king no, now? Or does he have... Ceremonial does, is still, does he have real power, the king? Among the people here, too, okay. in the Buganda kingdom, he does have power, but not necessarily, like, I think it's like a federal kind of system. Mm. Like, Buganda has the way it does its things. Okay. And then the main government, they work along together, of course. The political government, Museveni's government, like has a lot of control in like the, the guards or the security system. All that is really by the central government. They give him the bodyguards, they give him the soldiers mm -hmm. to guard him and they officiate at all, you know. Like they have all the security from the government, which is a mm. very good way of keeping you in, in line. Your own army, yeah. You know? Now, you mentioned Idi Amin. I, I think many Americans remember mm -hmm. the name Idi Amin. I know. Um, and you said he, he was sort of an ally of President Obote at first, but then he, he did, performed a coup against him, right? To get to so actually, obtain I mean, power? He was trained as a soldier by the British. Okay. He was, he was one of the, they trained him. Then when they left, he was part of, he was a soldier already. So when independence came, he was like, he, he, he grew up in the ranks. I think he was Obote's commanding officer. Oh. And so he sent him to attack the, the palace. And one time when Obote was in Singapore for a conference, I mean, made a coup against him and he became president. Now you, did you grow up in those days? Mm -hmm. What was it like for the typical Ugandan citizen under, I mean, as opposed to Obote or the king? I don't remember so much about Obote. What I remember is that when Obote was overthrown, I know that there was a lot of celebration in the streets. Oh, there was. Very much so. People were, you know, driving, um, pulling all sorts of stuff, like branches, and but like demonstrating like they were dragging Obote in the streets. And So he, was, he was a kind of ruthless then against the people and when he was in power? He came back twice. Yeah, he was not really loved. Okay. I, I suppose his own people must have. Obviously, mm -hmm. people have their own that care for them, but definitely the Buganda didn't love him and... He was not Buganda? No, he was not. Okay. But I mean, was quite loved by the people. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, not the impression we have here. I would say that's partly contributed to like, uh, a lot of the moves he did were very... Um, 
she attacked the British. His methodology was very brutal and strong, but he had certain beliefs. Like, I believe he worked on infrastructure for the country. Mm-hmm. And when he did kick out, like, Indians from Uganda, I had uh, a person who lived during that time and grew up during that time who told me at that point, basically, the British had put the Indians who they had brought into the country slightly above the native people mm-hmm. to the point where they were kind of like the managing class where Ugandans had curfews, but Indians didn't. They mm. couldn't access certain parts of the country. They couldn't do certain jobs. And basically, you know, we we just couldn't like even climb a social highest status. So there was a lot of negative energy back and forth where, you know, Indians who were guests in our country viewed us as less than or mm. specific role. And we didn't like them, I guess, as well, because, you know, they were instilled by the British, but when the British kind of stepped away, they still had that position. And Idi Amin was kind of addressing that. You know, I don't really agree with his methodology, yeah. but when he made certain moves, people did support them because there was also issues with the issues he kind of dealt with. But yes, he yeah. was a very brutal and uh, tough guy, I guess, and he yeah. hurt a lot I of think, people. I think the word brutal, maybe when you apply to the Indians, but I think there's a lot of propaganda. They did a lot to demonize him. Mm-hmm. because he messed too much with the British. Like, you know, he gave himself all these titles, calling himself the conqueror of the British mm-hmm. <laughs> Empire. <laughs> yeah. He claimed he would be a life president, and he got some British, maybe ambassadors and stuff, to kneel down for him and say that they were paying homage to him. He, he was he was a funny guy. But I think among the presidents we've had, which is a long list of presidents in yeah. the 60 years of independence we had, yeah where Museveni has taken more than the 30 out of the 60 yeah, years. Yeah, we'll talk about <laughs> him in a minute. 20-something. I mean, I think, lo- looking back in retrospect, was not such a bad guy. Interesting. Stuff for the country, he never stole, really. He didn't steal stuff from, he didn't take away. Most people use the power to just, you know. Mm-hmm. Corruption is just in such extreme measures. Mm-hmm. People enrich themselves beyond reason, like more than they really need and take. Yeah. just keep on taking. But during the means time, that was not the case. But he... The, the Majesty to the British took brought many Indians to Uganda in the I guess in the fifties, forties, and fifties. Earlier. earlier, earlier than that. Nineteen hundred. Oh. And oh, that long ago. And they, and then they were. Um, Before nineteen hundred, they had brought them because they built the little truck. Okay. okay, and they were kind of like the merchants and the they, business they owners to the merchant class. Okay, because I think they followed the trucks and it brought in in Arabs and. It, yeah. Once the, tr- the way it was established, yeah. it brought in people, you know, trading, you know, bringing stuff, and the Asians were already, the Indians were already there in yeah. good strategic places too. Yeah. Part of our economics was also changed by the British. Like, we had different views on land. I'm mm-hmm. still trying to understand how we operated with land, yeah. but the idea of ownership was different. We had ownership, but, like, we had a feudal system, but, like, the peasants at the bottom didn't have to, like, farm to give their landlord or lord money so that they could stay on the land they could stay on the land regardless and if that mm. lord wouldn't let you stay on that land you'd go to another place <laughs> we had a very like a uh, trust like the land was being held in trust so even the landlord didn't technically own the land he was just a trustee of the land and you know if the community literally didn't want that family or thought they were doing a bad job they did not have that role anymore and someone else or another family or group would end up being running and operating mm. that land and then would have consuls that would be literally democratic part of the community people were elected or voted or chosen 
to be the ones who decide disputes and disputes were settled that way and they still are in a way today mm. in the same That's fashion. That's in Buganda. In Buganda. Okay. Uh, Western style and the typical land ownership we see today or know of was introduced and that has caused a lot of confusion and changes because now uh, people are suffering to have places to stay, yeah. to farm. We never suffered with food scarcity because no matter how poor, let's say you are, you don't have land, you don't own a house, you don't own a farm. But if you found someone who had land and they're not using it, you could use it and you don't owe them anything for using that land. Mm. You and you could some of the produce. And you could feed your family, mm -hmm. but you weren't like forced to pay taxes, mm. you know, to the king. Our okay. king didn't collect taxes from his people. People could tribute to him, mm. but you know, we had slightly different practices yeah. in our kingdom. We're gonna take a short break here, but um, we'll be right back and we'll continue this discussion about Uganda, and we're going to get into your personal stories, too. Um, you're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk, STL 101.9, 94.1. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Arnell's Hardwoods. For all of your laminate and hardwood flooring needs, call them at 314-397-3252. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by the Indoor Comfort Team. For all of your heating and cooling needs, call the Indoor Comfort Team at 314-230-9542. You're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back. We're talking with Christine Saremba and Majesty Mukulu from Uganda. We were talking about Idi Amin. And, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember Idi Amin when he was in power, and our image was very negative. But thank you for sharing that other side of the story. Um, that I, I can share. I think I, I, I saw him physically once okay. when I was in high school. His, his daughters were in the same school in Mount St. Mary's College, oh. and he did come to visit. And unfortunately, soon after that, he was oust. Mm -hmm. The war was going on, you know, trying. The, the Tanzanian war you mentioned mm -hmm. had come to oust him with Obote. You know, he got support from some other African countries, including Tanzania, and they came to wage war against Amin because Amin made a mistake and attacked Tanzania. He bit off more than he could chew. Of land from them, claiming it was part of Uganda. Yeah. But these issues about like the borders. The British just demarcated, you know, depending on where the German influence was or the French influence. So that's how they, they, they cut up country. Right. It was arbitrary all over yes. Africa and Asia and other places. So you have, like, the borders between Uganda and Kenya, half the tribes. The yeah. same tribe is across the border. So that yeah. means these people are one people. It was right. one tribe. And then the map came and cut right, right through them. And right. one part belongs to Kenya and one part and where they are totally under different political systems. Yeah. Anyway, I mean was a fun-loving person, he swam, he raced with people. He, I think he, among the presidents, he's the only person who lived a normal life, like he would play around with people. Really? Yeah. That's so interesting. He go around with bodyguards and, you know. Yeah. We just have such a different image of him. I think, I don't know if the Cold War was going on during that time, but one of the things, he did ally himself to a degree with the Russians. Maybe that's why we got the bad <laughs> image. He, I think, accepted a Russian plane or yeah. something to do that, a very big, like, international, like, America, every, you know, bunch of European yeah. countries are involved, and Russia was not on their, you know, it was us versus them, and Idi Amin. I think also messed with the, you know, when he allowed the Palestinians to come and yeah. bring the hijacked. 
plane yeah. to Entebbe. Yeah, we remember and that so too. He's in trouble because, you know, he was messing with the Jews and mm-hmm. somebody lost. The, I think most of the people were rescued, but one lady was left behind and she died. That's, yeah. And he, he was... He was Muslim, I believe, right? He was a Muslim. But Uganda has Muslims and Christians, mm-hmm. the, the Protestants and the Catholics, mm-hmm. and they live pretty well together. Uh-huh. We don't have conflicts over religion. Okay. And Jews, too. Yeah, we have Jews. <coughs> okay. Um, Obote became president again later, and then... Oh, yeah, they brought him back again. And then... 1979. And then now Museveni is the president? Yeah, Museveni had to go to... to he had to go to the bush and wage a guerrilla war against the current president who was, Obote was housed by his own people at one point. Oh. But before he left, by Oito Joke, I think he's a o- commander. Okello? So he's been, uh-huh, Okello. Museveni's been president for third, over 30 years now, right? To 35, I think. How is, how is the... You were living there when he was president, right? Before you came here. Oh yes. How how was it life different than it was under Amin? With I think by the time Museveni came, we were so so sick and tired of war. Yeah. We've been having endless coup, coup after coup. You know, we're yeah. getting war and war is a terrible state to yes. live under. You know, people die all around you, and you're just lucky to stay alive. So we had all sorts of bombs and so all sorts of soldiers marched through when the wars were over, but then another one would start again. So when he came, he promised peace, and I think we're all looking for somebody who could put some things under control. Mm-hmm. It's just that he has overstayed. Oh. <laughs> he has over, totally overstayed. Yeah. But, you know, the day he won, you know, mm-hmm. and the soldiers had to run away like Obote's soldiers. I mean, Obote had been overthrown, but the same group was still in power, the same yeah. people. It was his soldiers now that had the power. So we danced in the streets. Oh. <laughs> we were dancing in the streets, well, ta- celebrating. Talk liberation. about, yeah, that sounds great. Talk. Let's talk about your childhood, You were, when you grew up. Did you attend, I guess the schools, schools were British, British-style schools? Yeah, the British have a lot of, yeah, we, we do follow the syllabus. Okay the British syllabus, but I think during my father's time, they actually did follow the Cambridge kind of standard, but I think it was changed and mm-hmm. adopted our own kind mm-hmm. of examination and stuff, but it's very British influenced, you know, the number of classes we have to take. I think in primary, we go to kindergarten, then we do seven classes in primary, mm-hmm. and then we do f- secondary school where we do four years and get an ordinary certificate, and then we do two years in high school where we get a high school certificate and then we go to university and Uganda is so like we judge people so much about education like we, you know depending on how well they speak their English we can't tell if they they, they mm. went to school or proper schools and it's quite a conceited place about education is English kind of necessary to get in a good position yeah, I suppose if you yeah, to work in any office, yeah. you need to communicate in English where you have to read and write. So mm-hmm. definitely school dropouts end up doing other sorts of work. Like, But Amin created a business class. Mm. When, he, when he threw out the Indians, then I think in... I don't know if there's any other place in Africa where so many Africans are so involved in business as in Uganda. Okay. He broke that ceiling. And it wow. Well, how, how was your childhood? What was it? You said you went to a boarding school. Did... 
what what did teenagers do for fun in those days? Did you? So did I did attend boarding schools, and it was in the primary schools where it was tough. We did a lot of hard work. Yeah. Which I suppose they're teaching you how to work, but they also caned us. They caned you a lot. Okay. Now until maybe in the 2000s, they abolished yeah, caning in school. Okay. They, so Majesty was lucky. When you grew up, there was no caning. No. <laughs> when we were growing up, they, they beat the hell out of us. Really? Wow. <laughs> for, for, for grades, you know, for points. Yeah. We just got caned every day, multiple times, for all sorts of things. And that so was it, quite traumatic. When, you, when the teacher would enter the room, would you have to stand up and bow? No. Like, like it was in Japan? <laughs> no, 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 no. How, I, I'm sure that there was, teachers had a position of respect from the steward. They were supposed to, I guess, right? No, it wasn't like that, but, you know, they just got you on. You know, they always came with something. Either they were giving out your results, and, you know, if you didn't get this grade. The, the grade you always got was not the grade you're supposed to have. Oh. You, you know, you're supposed to do better. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's not such a bad thing, but uh, the caning is... <laughs> not that you get beat every time. Yeah. Well, um, And so we had a culture of boarding school. Probably it was introduced because when I came here, when I first moved to America, I just was 14, and... I was thinking maybe we could find a boarding school, and then I realized there are none. <laughs> we have some here. They are very far away. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> and it was—it sounded strange for me to be looking for boarding school. It wasn't like a common thing. Here. Yeah, it's not very common here, but we do have a few in St. Louis. I used to teach at one here. Very. Yeah. I think I saw one. No, actually, he had been in, attending Heritage International, and then I looked for one, and it was in Columbia, mm. Missouri. And well, I thought about moving there, but eventually we did find a good school in okay. Redwood. Okay. No. He he's, he worked. He turned out fine. <laughs> and then, um, so would would you say your childhood was happy, pleasant for the happy. most part, except it for the caning? Happy. Not that you ever got caned, but <laughs> it was happy. It was a happy childhood. We were very notorious. I'm uh, we're talking with my sisters, thinking if they didn't take us to boarding school, <laughs> then you would have full of mischief. Uh oh. Well, they caned <laughs> it out of you, I guess. Because <laughs> we had working parents. You know, when our mm-hmm. parents go to work, mom and dad, and then. After school, you know, we're roaming the place, yeah. <laughs> looking for mangoes and doing a lot of, you know, <laughs> oh, getting into fights. Really? So maybe they saved us by taking us to boarding school. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but it was too tough in school. It yeah. Was too tough. But once you got in, they would never get you out. You could not now tell your parents, I don't like it because they're kidding me. Really? Yeah. But we did do some primary, I mean, this the school where we had to, you know, walk to school and mm-hmm. back and all. We did experience that a little bit and it was fun. So during my childhood, the Indians had not yet been expelled. So Jinja, where we grew up, was a very dominantly Indian town. They owned most of the shops, and they had a culture of, you know, on taking walks in the evening, so you'd see the families. They're very family-oriented, very strong family ties. Mm. And I love Indian food because I grew up in this, in this Indian town, and oh. I got my taste from a very young age of tasting Indian food. And yeah. We did attend some Indian weddings. Really? Or is Katias, they let us, our church was right next door to the Indian temple where they had their wedding celebrations and when they would go, they would, they would honk. Boop, boop, boop. And that would alert us that the wedding is on and would run out of church and run to the party. <laughs> wow. So there was some interaction between the two communities. It wasn't yeah, there was, so, there okay. Was, there was. Okay. And then after you finished school, what, what, how did your life turn out? What did you do? Did you, did you go to college or did you work? Yeah, I went to pretty good schools where they made sure I had to to make it to go. I went to university 
here mm-hmm. call it college, mm-hmm. which we have colleges, mm-hmm. so that would confuse me too. Yeah. I did go to university, I studied sociology and philosophy for my first degree. And people used to say to me, what are you going to do with that? And I thought I'll be a teacher, I'll be a lecturer or something. And But right after I finished, I met a theater director and he talked me into joining theater and thought, you know, that would be great. You know, you, you mm. want somebody like you in theater. Was, what would I do in theater? Well, you think, then I realized actually to make good plays, you do a lot of thinking and mm-hmm. analyzing stuff in society. And so I had 12 years of being an actress, working. An actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I first came to America in 1991. We came with a theater group. Oh. We toured here, we toured India and a lot of other countries. So we did that for, we did the tours for five, six years. But we never took a break, so mm. eventually it's very strange to be on the road endlessly. Mm-hmm. I think we overdid it. Mm-hmm. So eventually everybody was tired, yeah. was fatigued, and that's when I went back to school to do my MBA. Okay. And then, Majesty, you were and Majesty born? And Majesty left when I was doing my MBA. Okay. <laughs> and then what was your childhood like when you were, until you came here? Uh, my childhood was good. I enjoyed it. I used to play lots of soccer. Of course. I, uh, run around, uh, go to school. Did you go to a boarding school there? No, no I went to uh, a day school. So basically okay. I would have school to, from like, you know, 8 to 5 p.m. roughly. I think our schools go a little longer. 4 or 5 roughly was when school ended. Sometimes they had Saturday classes, mm. uh, but you know, if those were optional, I'll try not to go to school mm. on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, the teachers uh, at this point, thankfully, were not allowed to beat students anymore, but they <laughs> had some creative punishments that could be quite physical. Really? Like sometimes. what? Like I remember a teacher made us do like frog hops, <laughs> like around the school building. <laughs> Because the whole class had done something, I guess. I don't remember what we did to make him mad, but like, yeah. But hey, yeah, I prefer that over him putting his hands on me. Wow. And uh, um, yeah, the schooling experience was was pretty uh, good for me. I struggled actually with English. Did uh, you? Reading and writing. I I was very articulate talking and I never had trouble keeping up with my peers in that regard. But uh, when it came to actually reading and writing the language. Um, my English teachers of the school I was currently going to, I was starting to fall behind where my classmates and the tests were given, I couldn't read the questions. But if you read it to me, I could probably answer it. Well, you, were you speaking Luganda? Was that your first language? I was yeah. speaking Luganda, but I still probably, at this point, still knew about as much English, but I couldn't write or read oh. Luganda either. Oh. Yeah, and I was also... It, they thought you had... When you went to the American school is where you had to get, I think. Yeah, so I actually switched schools. This is early, like, what, fourth, fifth grade. I switched to an American international school, mm-hmm. and an ESL teacher worked with me for about six months, and I was reading in mm. six months later. And um, I was still a little behind, but at least now I had the base to start building upon. Okay. And ever since then, I've just building, been building my confidence in reading and writing. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to take another quick break here, but then when we come back, well, I want to talk about how you, how and when and why you came to the United States and what life has been like for you since then. Um, you're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. Yeah. 
Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Samim Afghan Restaurant, featuring traditional Afghan cuisine and conveniently located on Manchester Road in the Grove. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you by Hacking Law for individuals who want to come and stay in the U.S. Hacking Law fights for immigrants every day. Visit them at hackingimmigrationlaw.com. This is Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Welcome back. We're talking with Christine Saremba and Majesty Mukulu. Let's talk about how and when and why you came to the United States. How did that all happen? So like I told you, I'd been to America before since 91. And after I stopped doing the tours, I used to come to visit because it was my favorite place. I met a lot of friends. But with time, I lost some. Oh. <laughs> so we're old and old. Had you come to St. Louis on these on the tours? tours? Uh-huh. No, we actually never did. Oh, okay. I've been in St. Louis, okay. but Nashville was our base where we'd record some music first then before we hit the road. Oh, and okay. Can't I mean, space. Mm-hmm. And we're hosted by Americans across, and they were very courteous to us. And okay. made America in a very special place in my hand. Oh. <laughs> and I remember I was told, oh, don't think that's America that you've seen it all, because, you know, when you come as a guest, it's different. You know, the way people treat you. Yeah. It's different. You haven't lived in America because yeah. you have to deal with other issues yeah. when you come as a guest and you're being, you know, carried around. Yeah. For it's a very special experience, which was great. Mm-hmm. I, I did enjoy that for a long time. I came back to visit many times. Then my son George came to study here in St. Louis, and after I st- after I finished my MBA. And Majesty was born, and I didn't want to commit so much time because theater was extremely time-consuming. Like, you have to do rehearsals all night, and even if, you know, working during the day, either you're resting or something. Mm-hmm. So I changed, and I stopped acting because I wanted to be able to give my baby time. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started first venture into business. I, I did a gift shop, and I did come and buy some of the gifts here, and some from India. So I went to the countries that I had been... Mm. <coughs> and then I closed the shop and I did um, skills training school. I was teaching youth computers, you know, helping them, also entrepreneurial skills, just helping people to be enterprising enough to create their own jobs mm-hmm. because we had a problem of employment. <coughs> and Majesty learned how to use computers and fix computers at that time. And with the land where we had the computer project was eventually destroyed because of a land wrangle, like talked about land, now people, powerful people can get these land titles. They don't care who's on the land, they'll just come and use a lot of force, a lot of brutal force, they bring soldiers. People lose lives, they shoot, all sorts of crazy things. So when they took our land, it was during the night. And the land was, who were leasing it from the city council, who were in the process of buying it. And that's when they came and took it over. So with all this saga and <coughs> both the emotional pain and the physical, the losses and even the danger, because the people who destroyed the building practically to the ground, it would have been easier to shoot me and kill me. So I was lucky that I saved, my life was saved. Mm. And that's when we left. And your other son was already here in school. And that's, that's when he came to St. Louis. Okay. On my way coming, I first left Majesty in Brussels with my sister and I came first in to Cleveland, where my brother was. Then I told him I didn't want to settle in Cleveland. I wanted to come to St. Louis. I would be with George so we could be together as a family. So that's how we came to St. Louis in 
2011. And then what, what did you think about that, Majesty? Did you want to leave Uganda? Yeah, visited once. I visited uh, St. Louis, actually, maybe t a few years earlier. And uh, I was always interested in the States. I watched lots of movies, you know, from Hollywood. I watched movies from all over, but Hollywood <laughs> definitely had its place. And I had uh, ambitions or dreams of coming and studying, like, university or, or at least some schooling in the United States. So when my mom was like, how would you feel about moving, like, now? And I was like, in eighth grade or so I was like I guess why not now if I was going to do it later anyways mm -hmm. and so I was up for it we also did have family in Europe so it was actually a question because we could have potentially settled or gone to a European country but they were the idea of language barriers yeah, they're pretty multilingual I've been to Brussels I've been to Holland or Netherlands and they do speak some English and you know lots of things are in English but if you want to fully go through that school system you're gonna have to know some Dutch and I know some French but that was a little intimidating so I was mm -hmm. like yeah I'll go to America where I speak English mm -hmm. and yeah. people didn't understand my, my uh, accent actually when really here so that was kind of funny so it wasn't a language barrier at least but there was definitely an accent barrier hmm. when it came to especially my peers older Americans, I think, could hear through my accent, but younger ones would just be like, we didn't know what you were talking about. You were 14 when you came here? I was 14 years old. And then where, where did you go to school? Brent, Brentwood? Brentwood High School, yeah. Okay. And then was there an ESL program there? Um, they probably was, but I never participated in okay. it uh, after moving here, yeah. But you don't have an accent at all now, so how long do you think it took for you to lose Roughly it? Probably two, two years, maybe. Really? Yeah. And it's, I think it, once it got over like a little curve, it like goes just exponential. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. You were right on the cusp because if you're four, I mean, 14, that's about, usually if you start a new language after that age, it's, you're going to keep an accent for your whole life. Although, I mean, you studied, started earlier, but that's kind of like the cutoff point Yeah. for, you know, younger kids can pick up a language, speak it like, yeah. Um, okay. And then now I met you guys when you had a restaurant here <laughs> and let, how did let's talk how did that come about how did that start well during our stints my guess was going to school i was waiting on our asylum application it takes a while okay so i attended a church st augustine and i also attended a church in clayton i did some retreats and normally i cooked for us and all and friends and I did make some food for the church, and people would say, oh, George is actually the one who kept telling me, Mom, you know, you could do a restaurant, you know, everything we get would say, you could do this, you could sell it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, I, I was really not keen on doing any business after all the mm -hmm. experience I went through with my project back home. But then the food eventually came through as a very natural way to, it just evolved, it just came out of that. We did a fair in, a world fair in, in, Forest, Park. in Forest Park. And it was great. And one time it was George and Majesty. I was cooking and they told me, Mom, somebody came from Atlanta and said, this food is so good. I don't even remember what she used to describe it. She sent me an email thanking me, that food is so good. You could come to Atlanta, you could do it. And after that, you know, we got the momentum. I said, you know, let's find a, a spot, you know, and open a restaurant. But when you're opening a restaurant, you have no idea the work involved. The, the, you know, it's, it's a totally other game. But mm. you know, it's been a learning Mm -hmm. Learning experience. <laughs> Hard on the body, the hours you have to put in, the grilling and all. Yeah. And then you still want to do the fairs and run the restaurant. <clears throat> and during that time, it's like total overload. 
but the the fairs are still the best place for us to get customers, to get the word out, to mm-hmm. get you know it's the best publicity we can ever make for us. Like we started off with it and then told the people now we have a place. So we're looking forward to this year. We're going to do fairs, and we make people. Yeah, I remember I was with a group of students and we went to. I guess it was a Vietnamese restaurant next to your restaurant. That's all gone now because of the Costco in, in Olive and University City. But there, I, I just noticed the restaurant was called Olive Green, and I thought, that looks interesting. Olive Green, what is that? What kind of food is that? So I peeked my head in the door, and I think I talked to George, and I said, what kind of food do you sell? He said, Ugandan. And I said, oh, my gosh, I've got to come back here. <laughs> so I did several times. It was yes, so good. Yes. And then you moved across the street. And anyway, um, I think you're doing fairs now. You you have food booths at Festival of Nations and things like that. But aren't you going to do, I think you told me you're going to be doing sambosas kind of yeah. Through like online, you're going to be selling, or what, what's that new business going to be? So we've just all sharpened and honed in our catering a bit more, and specifically, we focus on a pastry called a sambusa. It's a triangle-shaped deep-fried pastry that has different fillings that are either meat or vegetable. Uh, it's a savory pastry, and we've been doing it for the last couple of years. So we had a lot of different menu items and specialities like goat curry, mm-hmm. chicken curry, and we did those at festivals too or caterings. But uh, the sambusas have been going very well the last few years. We want to keep hammering it in and basically doing more of them, to offering them to more people, teaching people about them. They're eaten not just in Uganda, they're eaten in Arab countries, they're eaten in, in okay. Asian countries, and actually America is where they might not be as popular, but there's some states that have them. But Missouri, mm-hmm. we probably have a bit of a monopoly on sambusas. And uh, yeah, we want to keep showing these. Uh, we put a lot of care and passion into what we do, the fillings of the sambusas. So we want to kind of showcase that we you get to have flavors that and spices that come from Europe, South America, uh, India, and Uganda, like in potentially these little pastries that we're showing. So even if it looks simple, there's a lot of thought and potentially like flavors that you've never had before or just never had this way. So you're focusing on that now for your catering business. Only the symbol. No more goat curry. No more. We do do special catering orders or off the menu, but you have to call in. Okay. You know, it has to be ahead of time. But uh, our currently we have a location out in St. Charles. We partnered with a sports bar. Oh. So uh, it's Simba and uh, Fieldbox Sports Bar out in St. Charles. So they offer drinks and alcohol, and we handle the food. Oh, yes. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's all Mexico. And the menu is a bit of a fusion of like traditional American uh, bar food, where you know there's burgers and wings and quesadillas. We make those, and we do you add do? A bit of our spin to it. But we also have like our chicken curry, our fr- Ugandan fried rice, sambusas. Uh, and the menu is also not going to be a static menu. You know, we have specials on the daily. We also have items we introduce and might add or remove some. So, yeah. What is the name of the place again in St. Charles? The Fieldbox Sports Bar. Fieldbox. Yes. Fieldbox. Fuel? Fieldbox. Field. Fieldbox. Okay. Sports Bar and Grill. Fieldbox Sports Bar and Grill. St. Charles, because there are more than one, one field box. This is oh. St. Charles, Missouri. It's on Mexico Road. And then do you, you have a website for your catering business, too? 
I do, but there is some technical issues with it right now, okay. and I'm going to have to fix those. But yes, our business is called Simba Sambusa Factory. Okay, and, and can people order them, like, do you sell them frozen or something, or is it just for catering? or? Depends if they want them hot, we deliver them fresh and hot. Or... Yeah, we deliver them typically ready to eat. Hot. So it doesn't have to be like a catered event. It can be anybody that just wants to try some. You can yes, order certainly. them. We are actually within the next month or so going to end up on some delivery apps wow. such as Uber and DoorDash. But we also do our own deliveries because sometimes those are, yeah. uh, you know, a certain mile. But if you're further out than that, you can certainly order still and we can deliver or you can pick up from our location. Will you have a booth at the Festival of Nations this year? We will. We Park. Be in the Arts Festival. Okay. African Arts Festival this Memorial Day weekend. Oh, in, in the Forest, Forest Park? Park. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. We'll be there. And we'll definitely do the Festival of Nations. Festival of Nations. Well. Mm-hmm. We'll also do Test of St. Louis. We did it for the first time last year. Okay. And Well, I can, I can tell the listening audience that it's worth the trip. This food is really good. I, I can speak from experience. And you know, these festivals since 2021, since after COVID, yeah. the closure and all, we've just been doing the Sumbusa factory and it's doing Wow. Great. We're serving more people and we actually fry them there. We, we do them fresh from mm. old fresh Sumbusas. Gosh. <laughs> we also do the St. Louis Art Fair in Clayton. Mm-hmm. We also do the River Fest in St. Charles. Well, <laughs> so when is that? Is that Fourth of July. Okay. Yeah. We also have a food truck now, so um, we're going to be, you know, able to come to institutions or campuses. Okay. So, but yeah, we have a catering food truck as well, so the food can be transported hot a long distance, and you know. How do uh, do you have a? Can they just Google like Simba Sambusas or something like that to find out yes. more? Simba Sambusa Factory, or okay. our old name, uh, Simba Ugandan Restaurant. Simba Ugandan Restaurant. To, Okay. You know, it had a following and it's yeah. a bigger presence, so people okay. use that to find us. We just got a couple minutes left. Um, Majesty, tell me what you're doing now. You you did go to college, and are you, you're working with your mom in the business, yes. but so what I did you study? I went to some college. I study uh, business management. I did not complete my degree, but... Uh, one of the things that I wanted to focus on, and I guess I was studying business management to be able to be a better business entrepreneur and business manager. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some things I learned in university, but I'm also a very hands-on person. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to manage a restaurant and hands-on. I learned how okay. to run a business hands-on. And I guess I just kind of doubled down on that mm-hmm. path of learning through my experience. But I definitely still learn through books. I still read use resources. Mm -hmm. I take online classes for various subjects uh, to keep building my knowledge base or skill set. And it's been a very exciting journey because me as well as my mom have very big plans uh, to just keep growing our business, to keep having a big impact in St. Louis to showcase Mm -hmm. what we have to offer. Mm -hmm. And I also have other business ventures I plan on uh, going into and building into in the future. So yeah, I think Simba for me is just the start. I'm going to be a serial entrepreneur. I've been studying finance very hard for the last two years okay. as well. So, yeah. Okay, sounds good. We keep Check out the website, Simba Ugandan Restaurant yes, Simba or Ugandan Simba Sambusa Factory. Okay. Well, I wish we had more time to talk, but thank you very much for coming down. This has been really interesting. Um, see you at the Festival of Nations. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, thanks. Congratulations on all your success here. Thank you for joining us tonight. 
Thank you. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL 101.9, 94.1. Thank you for joining us.